Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Selling Greenville, your favorite real estate podcast here in Greenville, South Carolina. I am your host, as always, Stan McCune, realtor right here in the Greenville area of South Carolina. And you can find all of my contact information in the show notes or the show description, depending on uh, which podcast app you use. Um, and please reach out to me with any of your real estate needs. I am available text, phone call, direct message, email, whatever works for you. I am accessible all of those ways. And just a reminder, as always, please go ahead and whatever podcast app you're using, please hit the little subscribe button. Make sure you don't miss any future episodes. Please also uh, leave a little uh, review. Just type up a short little review and a five-star rating. Tap the five stars. That would be helpful. It just helps to get the show out to as many people and also just makes me feel good. All right. I appreciate uh, you guys having uh, listened for for all of these years. I have some some listeners who have been with me from, from day one. It's been uh, now, what, almost... Uh, I don't even know, two and a half years that I've been doing this podcast. It's been it's been quite the ride. Um, and right now, I want to kind of revisit a topic that I addressed a year and a half ago, and that was the topic of underpricing a listing. Now, uh, when I say underpricing, I mean you price a listing below what it's worth, potentially to drive up the price in a bidding war type of situation. Now, I heard someone say recently, you cannot underprice in this market. That was another real estate professional. He said, you cannot underprice a house in this market. And I thought that was a very interesting thing to say. His point was that as the market shifts, and and as I've been saying on this podcast for now several months, the market is shifting. Um, So as the market shifts, you need to be extremely careful not to overprice a home that you're selling. And if you've been listening to this podcast now for a while, um, you know that before I did a year and a half ago that uh, podcast on underpricing a listing, I did one on overpricing it. What happens when you overprice a house, when you end up uh, listing it for more than it's worth and then end up selling it for less? And I, and I came to the conclusion based on the data that I looked at that homes that start out overpriced end up selling on average $12 per square foot less than homes that were priced correctly or underpriced. And so that uh, was a, a huge, uh, that was something that kind of verified what I already had in my mind. Um, I already knew, you know, everyone always says, overpricing a home, overpricing a listing is the worst possible thing you as a realtor can do. It just causes more time. It ends up not working out for the seller in the end. But I, I never actually knew until I did that uh, analysis just how destructive it is. Twelve dollars a square foot is a big deal. You don't you don't want to lose out on twelve dollars a square foot on a two thousand square foot house. That's twenty four thousand dollars. That's a very very big deal. Um, so so that was verifying, of course, that you don't want to overprice a listing. And then I followed that up with analysis on underpriced listings. And at the time, now again, this is in March twenty twenty one. I concluded that underpriced listings sold for basically the same price as properly priced listings. Technically, they were slightly more. They sold for slightly more on average, but it was so close. It was like a dollar or a dollar and a half, something like that more. It was just so close, it felt like it should be within the margin of error. Um, And I'm not a statistician, um, so I I don't even really know how to calculate a margin of error. But just generally speaking, a dollar and a half a square foot 
that's to me not statistically relevant. Um, and um, and so I thought in general, and and I said this on the podcast that it was better to price a property for roughly what it's worth rather than taking the risk of trying to drive up the price by underlisting and then creating a bidding war. Well, I re-listened to this podcast recently because I was curious how it aged. And I I wasn't necessarily way off the mark, but I I have to say, um, out of all of my podcasts, this one is probably one that aged the worst. If you want to go back and listen uh, and compare it to this one, feel free to. It was back in March of uh, 2021, if if I remember correctly. Um, In that podcast, this is the part that aged the worst. Um, I said that I anticipated the market slowing down in the near future and that underpricing wouldn't be the best practice. Um, Now, in fairness, nobody had any idea that this was going to happen, but it did. The market went bananas after that. Like we thought in uh, in the first quarter and early second quarter of 2021 that that the market had already peaked. No, no, no. That was the 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 time that it started going absolutely crazy. We we had no idea. I remember talking to someone later that um, that said that exact thing. He was like, you know, I mean, we thought six months ago that we were at the peak. We had no idea what was happening. I I had no idea in March of 2021 that the market was going to absolutely just blow up in insanity, tons of more supply, uh, but being outpaced dramatically by the demand and that inventory levels would go down into the ones. I mean, it was, there was just no way to predict that that would happen. The inventory would start to go into the ones that year-on-year price increases would start to get into the 20% range. All of these things that have have been causing the market um, or that have been the result of the market being uh, being insane. That all happened after I recorded that podcast, and it, you know, it was really hard to to predict that that was going to happen. Nobody uh, that I was following, or you know, none of my sources, and I have a lot of sources. I do tons of research on the real estate market, both in Greenville, both nationwide. Uh, nobody that I followed that has a really good track record of of predicting things predicted that that would happen, but it did. Um, and so it's it was kind of uh, laughable when I went back and re-listened to that podcast. I was like, oops. <laughs> I put it all out there, though. I'm willing to take my lumps. I was wrong. The, the market didn't slow down in the near future. In the immediate future, it got crazier. Um, now, we know that it is slowing down a little bit now. Um, but again, as in uh, the, my most recent podcast about the market, stats that came out with the Greater Greenville Association of Realtors, even though there are indicators that it's slowing down, there are other indicators that it's still very hot. Um, and so we we have to take all of these things, you have to put the whole puzzle together because there's all sorts of different pieces and not all the pieces interlock in the way that you would expect them to. Um, so back in March 2021, uh, basically a year and a half ago, I said that I didn't think underpricing would would be a smart practice that that sellers would potentially leave money on the table if they underpriced a home. Um, but I also said that if you're going to underprice a home, probably the best practice is to underprice by a lot, not underprice by five or ten thousand dollars. Underprice by a lot, um, and I think that I got that part right. Um, now in this episode, I'm not really 
planning to get into the analysis of all of that. I didn't back then. That's more of a gut feeling than anything. Um, but I, I stand by that. I think I was right in that in that assumption that I made was that if you're going to underprice, you need to underprice by a lot, not just by a little. Um, well, since that time, um, it's become more standard practice. So in the past year and a half, it has become more standard practice than ever to underprice a listing. And uh, from what I've seen anecdotally, it hasn't hurt any of the listings. And in some cases, it has appeared to help. Now, that's just anecdotal. We're going to look at the data and see that there, there may actually be some instances in which it has hurt, um, and, and that's, that's logical, as, I, as I've already said. you and, and as I said in that episode, sometimes people will get fixated on the, on the price, on the list price, and they, they can end up not driving uh, a home up as high as it should be. Um, but... That being said, it has become more standard practice than ever the past year and a half for listings to be underpriced in an effort to create a bidding war. Um, and and I have seen real instances in which a home has sold for more than I believe it should have that started off underpriced. An example in my own neighborhood was a house that listed a very small house um, on a very busy street that listed for $175,000. Um, now, even with it being small and on a busy street, I thought this home should at least th- this home should be worth in roughly the the two fifteen to two hundred twenty thousand dollar range. That was log- logically what it should go for. It ended up selling for two hundred thirty seven thousand. So it ended up selling for what fifty two thousand dollars more than what it was listed for. That just completely blew my mind, and I believe that it sold for more than it would have had they listed it for two twenty. Now, if they had listed it for 220, it might have gotten, it might have still gotten bid up a little bit. But do I think it would have gotten bid up to 237? Probably not. What happens when you underprice the homes? You get more bodies in the home. You get more people looking at the home, and then there might be people that at the 220 price point would have said, eh, "Forget it. There, there's a gazillion of these homes this size that are that are 220. I'm, I'm not even going to look at it." But instead, at 175, you get all these people that are like, "Well, I know it's worth more than this. I know it's going to sell for more than this. But let's go ahead and and take a look at it and and put our best foot forward. And maybe someone looks at it that wouldn't have looked at it at 220, and they just fall in love with it. And they say, "You know what? I'm willing to go up to 237. This is exactly what I'm looking for." Um, and so you do have that dynamic that happens. And again, this is kind of why I think that it's better to if you're going to underprice a home, underprice it by a lot, 25, 30,000, something like that. Don't underprice by 5 or $10,000. That's not you're going to have if you underprice by 5 or $10,000, generally speaking the market's going to look at it and say, "Okay, it's pretty close to what it's worth." And you're just going to get those full price offers. You're, you're not uh, as likely to get the bidding war to come into play at that point. Um now Again, not every time does it make sense to underprice a home. And I'm going to, before I get into the data, I just want to make this clear. This is not a one size fits all formula. I know some uh, listing agents and some listing teams and companies that it seems like they make this just a general strategy that they always want to underprice and try to create a bidding war. Um, I personally don't think that that is the way to go. I think that there are two times. At least there might be more, but 
two off the top of my head that make the most sense for underpricing a listing. The one is if a property is really hard to determine the value. So you, it, it's just, it's, we're not sure what the exact value of the home is. There's a huge range. Usually when I'm, when I'm pricing a home, I try to, um, I try to come up with kind of a narrow range of what a home might be worth. Hopefully the seller is on board with that and we can both move forward with that. Uh, when it's hard to determine the value, then at that point it makes sense to, uh, so for instance, if that range is like a thirty dollars or $40,000 range, then at that point it makes sense to go with a lower, with, with a, a much lower price, right? And let the market decide at the end of the day what a home is worth. Um, so homes that are difficult to determine the value, usually it's pretty straightforward to determine value of a home, at least from my perspective, you know, I've been doing this for so long, it doesn't usually take me that long. Um, but still there are some unique examples where it can be difficult to determine the value. Uh, one is if a property is a fixer upper, that's an example, uh, in which, okay, it makes, you know, it makes logical sense that it'll be hard to determine what this house is worth because it needs so much work to be done on it. Fixer uppers can be hard to value um, unless there are a lot of other fixer uppers in the area that have sold recently. Usually there, there haven't been um, in a lot of instances. Um, another example uh, would be a home that has unique features that you can't really find comparables for. And by unique features, that can be anything. It has you know an apartment over the garage or maybe it Maybe it lacks a garage. I I, uh, I flipped a house a couple of years ago that it was the only house in the neighborhood that didn't have a garage, and that posed some challenges for pricing the house. It was like, okay, what's the market going to say? Everyone in this neighborhood has a garage except for whoever is going to end up living in here. Um, so that can be an example, uh, some, a house that has unique features or lacks the features that conform to the neighborhood. Um, or perhaps we're just talking about a neighborhood that is generally hard to comp for. Um, you know, a, an example might be, let's say that you have a home uh, that's near downtown Greenville or is in, you know, like Overbrook or Gower Estates or Parkins Mill. Some of these areas that, that can have some very expensive homes, but maybe this home doesn't conform to the other homes in that neighborhood. It's just smaller um, or, or perhaps a lot bigger or, you know, is one that doesn't have a garage when every when all the others do as I kind of already gave an example of just in a neighborhood that doesn't have the standard cookie cutter types of homes and this one that we're trying to comp is dramatically different than the other ones that's an example where it can be hard to determine a value um, so anytime a property is hard to determine the value of it could make sense to go the route of underpricing. Again, I'm not gonna say it always makes sense to do that, but it could. The second uh, example of when it could make sense to underprice a house is if you're trying to bring investor buyers into the equation. If you want to see investor buyers, if you wanna get investor buyers into the house, you need to price a home at a price point that will actually attract investor buyers. That's That's logical, but you'd be surprised how many people do not comprehend that. They just think investor buyers are, are out there slinging money around buying everything. No, investor buyers want to get something that is a good deal in one way or another. The only way to get them into a property is to lure them in with a lower price. And then once you do that, you might get some investor buyers that originally they they wouldn't give market value, but perhaps, like I said, they fall in love with the house. They see potential. They They 
have this idea or that idea, and they might be willing to actually go above what the rest of the market is willing to do. Investor buyers, you know, particularly the ones that are just sitting on a lot of cash, they can be very aggressive. They don't want their cash to be sitting in a bank just losing value. And I have seen multiple examples over the years, but specifically the past two years of investor buyers being willing to go above everyone else because they are just desperate. They want to make sure that they park their cash in a real estate asset. Recently, investor buyers, you know, wanting to make sure that they get in before mortgage rates keep going up. And so um, that can be a, a very crucial strategy to make sure that you get those investor buyers um, into, into a house. And so uh, those are the two instances in which I think it can make the most sense to underprice, just from my personal experience. There's no data behind any of that. That's just from my personal experience and, and just what I have seen over the six and a half years I've been in real estate. Um, but all of this is hearsay. I do, you guys know, if you listen to this podcast often, I like to look at data. I don't just like to give my opinion. Um, I like to look at the data first and then give my opinion. I want my opinion to be based on something concrete. And so I did a very similar analysis that I did one and a half years ago when I looked at underpriced homes. I, I basically redid that entire study again, except looking at home sales the past six months. So I pulled all sales in Greenville MLS for homes or townhomes from the past six months. And then like last time, I only kept homes if they were in a subdivision that had at least four sales. Why a subdivision? Well, those are going to be homes that have that are the most comparable. If you just get you know a random home out in Pickens County uh, that doesn't have any you know homes very close to it, um, all the homes around it are custom. You have a mobile home next door, then you have a million dollar home across from that, and then a three hundred thousand dollar home next to that. Those are not comparable homes. We don't want those to skew our data set. And then. Making sure that that the, each subdivision had at least four sales. That's just because if you if you don't have a, a decent, at least somewhat decent sample size, that can skew your data as well. If you've got, you know, again, just two homes that have sold, one of them appeared to be underpriced and the other one wasn't, that's that's not much of a sample size. Four homes, I know from my experience, when I'm trying to uh, to determine the value of a home, I like to see at least four comps. That is real. Three, I can I can work with three. Three to four comps really gives me the the data sample that I need to determine the value of a home. If I have if I only have one or two, that doesn't help me at all. Um, I, I shouldn't say it doesn't help me at all, but it, it it it's a lot more guesswork at that point. So I like the number four, and uh, and th- that's what we worked with last time, and that's what we uh, worked with again this time when I was looking at this data. Um, as far as how I defined an underpriced home, this is a, a bit arbitrary, a bit subjective, um, but I, I like to define for the purposes of this study, both before and now, a home that has sold for $15,000 or more above what it was listed for. In my experience, that's typically a bit of a dividing line between homes that were priced relatively close to what they were worth versus homes that were truly underpriced. Once we start to see people offering greater than $15,000 above what a home is listed for, then that's a home that that was underpriced. If people are offering five, 10,000, 12,000 above what it was listed for, to me, um, that's just a home that 
it wasn't underpriced. It's just has it's just very desirable for whatever reason and had multiple offers that came in and that just drove the price up. So I took homes that had sold for $15,000 or more above what they were listed for in subdivisions that had at least four sales the past six months and compared them to the other homes within their subdivisions. And what was the end result? The end result was that homes that were underpriced, okay, they sold for $15,000 above what they were listed for. They sold on average for $7.63 per square foot more than homes that were not underpriced by this definition that I've, that I've given. Um, if you want to look at the median, because the median is obviously an important number to, to tell us whether that average is accurate, um, the median was a little bit lower, but it was still substantial. It was $4.70 above what the average in the neighborhood uh, sold for. So both the, the average or the mean and the median were substantially above what homes sold for if they were underpriced. So the underpriced homes, to say it another way, they sold for more, and and it was a substantial amount. Um, I and I and I think you know, unlike last time where it was just like in the one dollar range, I think we're looking at these numbers seven seven dollars and sixty three cents, four dollars and seventy seventy cents. Um, I I think that these are numbers we need to take very seriously, and this needs to influence how we approach this underpricing a listing discussion. And now this is a very unique market. As I've said before, we need to tailor our strategies to the market that we're in. And that being said, I think the underpricing honestly is more viable now than it has ever been because of of how much we're seeing the market shift. Because not only do we have these dynamics potentially in place where there might be a home where it's hard to determine the value of, or there might be a home that you want to get investor clients in, but also we have this dynamic in place where the market is changing and we don't exactly know what's going to happen. We just know that demand is not what it was a few months ago. And so demand is falling. That's going to impact home values. Underpricing a home, it might feel scary. Underpricing your home when you're selling it might feel scary. But at the same time, it may make the most sense in order to get in front of this shifting market. It may be the safest way to go. Let the market decide. Let the market decide what your home is worth. Don't try to 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 guess wrong and then overprice the home and then lose $12 a square foot. That's a big deal. Um, at $4.70 per square foot, so let's just go with the median. The underpriced home sold in the median number uh, for $4.70 per square foot above uh, the, the average, ab- above the normal for the neighborhood. Um, that's that's substantial on a 2,000 square foot house. That's an extra nine thousand four hundred dollars that a seller makes. So you don't want to lose nine thousand four hundred dollars. Nobody does. I don't care how much money you have. Nobody wants to lose that money. You know, if you're very very wealthy, that's at the very least a very very nice meal, right? Um, and, and I mean, in in Greenville, that would be multiple very very nice meals. We don't have any restaurant. Uh, in Greenville, where you can, unless you have a massive group, uh, get one meal that's going to cost over nine thousand uh, dollars. But I, I, I know that there are some places in the world that that do cost that. So, um, long story short, you don't want to leave money on the table, and so we need to keep this as a tool in our toolbox. The possibility to 
start a listing with a lower price, with a substantially lower price than what we think it might be worth. But again, I'm not saying to always do this. I'm saying keep that as a tool in our toolbox because remember, each house and each situation is different. The quote that I, that I started this episode with, the quote that you cannot underprice a house in this market, I kind of disagree with that, okay? And here's why I disagree with it. Um, the sample set that I used that I already described uh, ended up having the data for 657 houses. That was ultimately my sample set was 657 houses. And of those 657, 269 of them, just a, a hair over 40% actually sold for less than the average in their subdivision. So even though the average across the entire sample set and the median across the entire sample set was greater than uh, for underpriced homes than for those that weren't underpriced, still 40% of that sample set still had the underpriced homes selling for less than the average in those neighborhoods. And so you could make the argument that 40% of the time, just based on this sample set at least, 40% of the time in that sample set, underpricing didn't work. And perhaps 40% of the time moving forward, it won't work. Um, like I said, I feel like it makes the most sense for homes that are more difficult than normal to determine the value of or of homes where you want to involve investor buyers for whatever reason. But that strategy differs based on the type of home that you're selling, the area that it's in, what the market on a meta level is doing. There, there are a gazillion things to consider. And, and it's not, you cannot take a one size fits all approach for this. Um, so I want to make that clear. You guys, if you're thinking about selling a home soon, it might make sense to underprice. It might make sense to uh, try to determine exactly what the home is worth and to go with that number. The only thing it doesn't make sense is that it doesn't make sense to do is to overprice. Do not overprice your home. I'm promising you, I will tell you, it doesn't work. You will end up regretting it. It'll take longer to sell. It'll sell for less money. Um, it'll be stressful for everyone. Don't do it. it. It's not going to work out in the long run. And I will say uh, the past one and a half years, it has been the best market ever to overprice a home in because you, there were situations where people would overprice a home and then drop the price and then get multiple offers after they drop the price. That dynamic is is basically done. We have completely seen that disappear, that uh, that possibility that you could overprice a home and then have it sit on the market for a while and then lower the price and then get an influx of activity. Uh, we're not seeing that happen anymore. And it, that's the shifting market that we're seeing. It's directly impacting certain properties and certain situations. And that's one of the ones that's been impacted the most. So make sure that you talk to a real estate professional, which by the way, I am one of them. <laughs> so again, my contact information is in the show notes. Um, if you need to talk to a real estate professional about selling your house, I do that. I represent buyers and I represent sellers. So please keep me in mind. Um, and as well, thank you guys for listening to the show, for all your loyalty. You can express your thanks to me by hitting the five-star rating button, by leaving a short little review, by hitting the subscribe button. You can even unsubscribe and then resubscribe. Supposedly, that helps the algorithm. I have no idea. It doesn't make any sense to me. But if you want to do that, feel free. Go at it. I appreciate you guys listening, and we will talk again next time.